from VentureX Studios, it's JP, Kathy, and the crew. Oh, it might help if I put on some headsets so I can hear everybody. Since everybody's going to be like on via Zoom today. And it may help if I un... Yeah, next time, Brett, make sure that I'm not, I haven't rolled over the cord for the headset. So there you go. That's a little better. Okay, now I can hear. Good morning to you, the crew. Uh, JP, Kathy, and the crew coming live to you from Venture X Studios here in Frisco, Texas. Let us know if you want to come out and take a tour, um, check out the facility, uh, look at the podcast room if you're interested in the podcast. Um, we're getting ready to take on a couple of new clients, so we are looking forward to you being one of those. Super excited this morning to have with us. Oh, and first of all, we are going to be paying tribute at 8.30. Coach Quigley is going to come on with us. We're going to be paying tribute to um, Charlie Watts, uh, who passed away at the age of 80, the great, incredible, talented, amazing drummer of the Rolling Stones. So um, we love music on here on J.P. Kathy and the crew, and we like to celebrate the lives of those who um, just, oh gosh, for, for just decades and decades, consistently bring us just some of the best music ever 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 um uh speaking of good stuff oh but up bum okay yeah, we, yeah wah, wah, that fell short <laughs> we've got doctor i've never heard that before so we've got ask dr well, be yeah. good from the our doctor dr rebecca good from the ask dr be good show and they're just, it, it's so, it's so crazy. You know, your show has evolved into literally being a, um, you know, it, it was an advocacy show. Um, and, you know, how do you advocate for yourself, for your students, if you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, all these great things. And, you know, a large part of that based on curriculum and on legislation around the state and around the country. And COVID gets thrown in your lap. More than did you know that you would become the COVID education expert? Yeah, matter of fact, um, it uh, uh, somebody who understands public education is quite in demand. I'll be on uh, Fox News Radio tomorrow from six a.m. to ten a.m. Excellent. Sort of answering questions about the craziness we have. Uh, we have school districts across the country who can't start because they don't have enough bus drivers. That's like in, in, in Pennsylvania. We have wow. uh, parents who are being paid by the school district to bring their own kids to school because they just don't have enough drivers. There's just there's there's just pandemonium everywhere. You know, there's, we just don't seem to be able to conquer the the newness that the pandemic has required from us as school districts, as parents, as educators, and you know. And we are in year three. It has only been 18 months, but we are in year three as far as school year being impacted by COVID. And, you know, um, it's just, we just haven't been able to wrap our brains around every piece of it because public education is like an octopus. We just didn't know it. The pandemic woke it up, right? And so you've got the so leg true. of instruction. You've got the leg of teachers. You have the leg now, the bus drivers that are being impacted. Uh, just there's so many pieces of this, the virtual uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, down in Austin. And thank goodness for special sessions, folks. Because wow. uh, if it weren't for the special sessions, yeah. we would not be trying to pass a virtual school bill, although we're confused. Many people think, oh, good, the schools can't are, are having COVID issues, and so um, we get to have school at home. And that's virtual school. Well, that's not what this bill is saying. The bill that is being passed is allowing virtual school, but for only 10% of the district's population. So that's really a different spin on virtual school. It's, it's, it's having virtual school permanently, well, at least till 2023, for, and up to 10% of your population. But you have schools right now that have more than 10% with COVID and are closed down. Kemp announced that yesterday that they're having to close down because of COVID. Who, who uh, was that? Leander who was the other should. one? What was that? Which school district Kemp. was it? Kemp. Oh, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And, and, and then Leander okay. was supposed to, but didn't. Leander has more than 10%, has been advised by the CDC to close, and they're not closing. So... <laughs> I mean, it's it's wow. just, it's, and you know, it's interesting. So you mentioned about the bus drivers. 
Okay, while you, and I love your Ask Dr. Be Good coffee mug, by the way. That, that's so great. Uh, I meant to tell you that the other day on the show. Um, so you look at bus drivers, and sadly, I, I can honestly say, I didn't, well, first of all, I didn't think about that, but sadly, it does not surprise me. Um, one thing, Dr. Good, again, so this, these are people who are exposed to a massive amount of kids getting on and off the bus every day. You're in and, you know, having you having spent um, half my day in a, a bus, um, you know, the afternoons, uh, largely when I was a special ed teacher going to and from job sites with my special needs kids back when I was at Plano East Senior High. Um, I remember on the, that bus, there is no air circulating. It was hotter than Hades. It was just ridiculous. So I can see where for for one thing, you've got um, bus drivers. They're concerned about their health. Um, you know, again, lots of exposure. And if they've got an underlying or, you know, a coexisting condition or, or whatever, you know, if they've got a compromised immune system by any means. And then also, it's like everywhere else, Dr. Good. And we've talked about this. Um, I think I've heard you talk about this on your show. I know we've talked about it on our show. And that is help wanted signs everywhere and no nobody to fill them went to a restaurant the other day and they were at tw- like 25 30 percent capacity and we're like and it was in mckinney and we thought oh are they did something change and they're like no we just don't have enough waiters to staff a full restaurant yeah yeah the, the right now bus driver types are uh, able to still make more money by the government than by driving a bus and so that has caused all sorts of problems and also the pandemic is still impacting the bus because they used to put three kids to a seat. Now they put two because of social distancing, which requires more buses. They don't have more buses. Some districts are going on shifts. Uh, you know, it's just it's a mess. And, you know, when I look at Carter's hair, it reminds me of public education right now. Uh, okay, can we can we see <laughs> Carter's hair now? I love it. <laughs> just it's just a bit just a big old mess. And it really is. There are still. Carter says, give me my CDL. I'm ready. Yeah, to go. Like, yeah, Carter's like, Carter's like, what's wrong with my hair? I, hey, I work hard to get this strategically messy look. Oh, I his hair, it. it just grows naturally up the middle like a mohawk, <laughs> and it goes wild. Oh, so I, this is the wild I woke up hair look. I want to dress him as, as a troll doll for this Halloween. God bless you. Bless, bless you. you. Bless you. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> He says this whole COVID mess. He said these politicians need out of business. <laughs> well, we left kids in charge. You know, you, you know what he's saying? Please, for the love of God, get everything fixed out by the time I'm in kindergarten. Oh, <laughs> you know? That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a good one, Kathy. Yeah. Oh. So, um, really, all I have on it seems like all I do is come on and bring you new nuances of how right. we still are in a pandemic year i just um and, and with schools having to close or classrooms being sent home to do virtual things are actually reverting back to how last year was and we weren't supposed to have that we were supposed right. to be back in school you know we got this most kids over 12 are vaccinated and it's just not well out that and way. some of the school districts are gambling they're hoping that by semester's end we'll have this thing whooped and they're opening virtual school at their expense uh, yes. Some schools are spending upwards of $30 million to be able yes. to provide that for K-6 because those are the kids that can't get vaccinated. And yes. uh, so it's very interesting. And then Plano, of course, is doing the parent-led virtual, where it is not teacher-led. And so that's also very interesting as well. So Yeah, that will be interesting. Now, Dr. Nahosa said that if he offers Virtual school for 9,000 students, and remember, they have about 143,000, it will cost him $100 million. That's, that's wow. mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah, the math is there. I mean, when you start multiplying the minutes per day times what those students would have normally been paid or what the school would have been paid for those students to be in their chairs, that's what it comes out to. That's the math. And they still don't want teachers doing both. And so it's finding enough staff to either do virtual or face to face, just we still are in in a in a mess that it's it's not going to be easily fixed. Right. 
Well, and, 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 and I, had, I had a quick um, comment, and, and Dr. Good, this may be something that you can kind of answer over the next few weeks. A number of parents who are extremely upset with the ISDs, um, you know, and you coming from the charter school world, uh, you know, that was your latest leadership position as superintendent for Legacy Charter. Um, I've had a number of people reach out to me and say, hey, tell me more about this charter school thing. I know you're real big on that. Tell me more about that. And I've read some articles here, there, and yonder where we've got parents who are looking at charter school because they feel like they've got more parental rights, parental controls, more input with charter schools. Are you hearing or seeing anything like that out there? Well, charter schools are able to be a little bit more nimble for several reasons. One is they tend to be smaller. Most charters are uh, when I say smaller, they may be a district, but even Legacy, which is considered a medium-sized district, has about 1,500 students with, uh, within the two locations. Whereas some of the mega ISDs around here, we're talking 50,000-plus students. And so when you have smaller districts, the bureaucracy tends to be less. The um, ability to... Be heard as a parent is much higher, and we do work harder. The charters work harder to retain families because we understand that if if a child walks out the door, that sort of tuition, even though it's free to the parent, the state pays for every you know, butt in seat. Right, right. And so, you know, we work really hard at trying to make sure that we have uh, heard the parent understood the issue, and in most cases rectified the issue to the parent's satisfaction. Um, one of the things that, and I'll, and I'll use legacy as a, an example, but it's, it's what we see across the country, uh, really across the state in the charters, is that we, because we tend to use uh, social justice in our uh, disciplining, and I hate the word discipline, I really do, but in our in our um, trying to understand what caused the behavior, it has really, really made a difference with kids and families. When you have charter schools who are using social justice to um, get to the root of the problem, much like the truancy, I would say, um, and I, this is sort of an interesting transition, John, much like we do in our tribunals where we try to get to the root of the issue of what's causing the child to be uh, not coming to school, the social justice practices that charters use to understand the behavior that um, a child is bringing to the classroom normally solves the behavior because normally it's a social emotional issue that can be solved. And so um, charters are very good at that. They're very good at working with uh, kids of color, kids from low socioeconomic environments. And the data are showing that we actually get higher star results from those populations than the ISDs. Well, and, and my concern with everybody is, oh, thank God virtual is back, is the fact that test scores were not where they need Ugh. to be. Um, students are not <clears throat> learning yeah. in a virtual world. Um, you know, and, and here's the thing. You know, I think parents, or I thought they figured out over that 18 months or however long we've been playing with that, right, that... I'm not a teacher. I didn't go to school to be a teacher. And to try to teach my own kid is difficult because my kid will listen to somebody else, but they may not listen to me. Wait, um, what is this you speak that. of? Says the woman with know, a right? with a 17 year old and a 21 year old. Wait, wait, kids. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how JP. You know, my kids grew up, and you know this, Doctor Good grew up. You know, I mean, we all campaigned together, party together, hung out together. Heck, um, Emily was a flower girl for JP's wedding. Um, and I tell you what, I, they could go and volunteer at one of JP's. Um, uh, programs. Emily was a volunteer for students on service. CJ v volunteered at the food bank and they would come home and things I had said for years that just fell on deaf ears. They'd come home and be like, well, mom, you know, JP says blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> In my <laughs> highest, most 
piercing voice. Okay. And and then they're like, I think that's that's really good advice. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but that's why you're grateful when you have great teachers and you have great educators and administrators who are engaged in your kid's life. Because you're right, JP, a lot of times, especially as kids get to be preteens and teens and all that kind of stuff, they are going to listen to a teacher. And so you want to make sure you've, you've got the right fit and you've got the right folks that your kids are exposed to in the school. Yeah, you've heard me say that, especially today's kids cannot have enough caring adults yep. supporting them. Amen. They're sending them feelings that they, that they are valued as that teen that they are. Agree. So, Agree. Uh, yep. Any Agree. chance they have to do that to other people's kids, right? So um, knowing that you might have a greater impact on them long term than their own parents. Interesting, so. Dr. Good. This this kind of backs up some of the data you've talked about over the years. Um, Elizabeth out of Arizona says she works at a charter school in Arizona, and she feels like parents of kiddos at charter schools are more engaged than some of the parents in public schools. So I, that, that's interesting. Um, I, I think, again, if you make that choice, just like if you make a choice to homeschool, if you make a choice to... You know, instead of buying a new car, you know, every few years, you spend your kid to send your kid to private school. I, I, again, and not that you're not engaged if you're a public school parent, but I think that's a choice you've made as a family. So um, you see, you kind of see that play out. We do. And so it, I would encourage anybody who's curious about charters to <coughs> find, bless you, find their bless nearest you. one, ask to tour. I believe most charters are now touring. A lot of them have their things online too, the 360 tours. So, a lot, and most charters have a special nuance as far as their curriculum. For example, again, I use Legacy. Legacy has a dual language program, English, Spanish, and Chinese, uh, taught starting in kindergarten. And then they have the early college high school, they have STEM. So, there's every charter has their little special, uh, specialty. And so figure out if that's the specialty that you think you want for yourself. All right. Well, Dr. Good, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll Always a pleasure. Dr. Be Good show on Sunday at 8 o'clock. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Right. Bye. We'll bye, see Carter. you then. Bye, yeah, bye, bye, bye Carter. <laughs> All right. And out of the fire and into the grease, or however that saying goes. Or out, of the, out, out of the, the fire. fire into the frying pan. Is that the one you're trying to? Of course, I always mess up all of those sayings, and I think I that's it. <laughs> I thought it was out of the grease and into the fire or into the fire and out of the grease. Uh, I think it's out of the like fire that. into the frying pan. That's an old, uh, old, old, so. old, old, uh, old saying. <laughs> well, we've got, uh, what I mean by that is we've got Coach Q on the line. Good morning, you mean he's Coach hot? Uh, <laughs> he is hot. So... We've asked Coach Quigley to join us. Last night, of course, we were discussing the Rolling Stones and, and all about what's going on with them. And then, of course, we discussed the fact that the Rolling Stones has lost Charlie Watts, their mm. drummer, at 80 years of age. And so, Coach Pugh, you are a Rolling Stones historian. Well, you know, grow up, growing up in New Jersey, uh, we got introduced to the Rolling Stones in an early age. So, you know, Coach, you know, give us a little history lesson on Charlie Watts and the Rolling Stones, when they actually started off, how their name became their name. Uh, kind of kind of catch us up to speed. Well, Charlie Watts was born in Kingsbury, England in 1941, So, and he just celebrated his 80th birthday in June. Uh, he was actually uh, trained as a graphic artist. He was got into the uh, music playing uh, rhythm and blues. He was not a flashy type of uh, drummer. He liked to set the tone and the rhythm for the band. Um, he really grew up with no music idols. Uh, he was known for his uh, skills as a snare drummer in uh, blues clubs in, in London. Now, and Coach, he had a bout with a cancer already in his life, did he not? Yes, yes. Uh, back in 2004, he battled stroke. And even earlier this month, uh, when they were getting ready to start the No Filter Tour, he had dismissed himself from the group and 
you know, sadly, he never missed a tour since joining the band in 1963. Now, what what did what did a lot of his band members say about him? What was he to the band? Well, to the band, he was he was the uh, man behind the scenes that did a lot of the stuff that because like a graphic designer, he did a lot of things like um, uh, drew, uh, designed the album covers. Yeah. Oh wow! And that and you know, it, okay. So for for the for those youngins who are tuning into the show, you know that um, uh, album covers—they're kind of like, wait, albums? What? What? Back in the day, I mean, literally, like my album covers were just some of my most precious prized possessions that I had. An album cover back in the day said everything you wanted to know or needed to know about the band, about the 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 album they had just put out, and the music that would be on it. Um, and I had, so I had no idea until until yesterday when you know he passed that he had anything to do with the album covers. That's amazing because some there are some of the most iconic album covers were those of the Rolling Stones. Yes, yes, like uh, the Some Girls one that came out in '78. He, yes, he designed that with all pictures, and um, he he really didn't have the uh, he he didn't design the tongue and lips logo, but he. Thought he gave some ideas on what should it what should it uh, include. Yeah, that's that's just amazing. That's a, I mean, what an incredibly talented individual. Somebody who you know obviously had the music talent, but then the talent as a graphic artist as well. And um, you know, and I wonder if that's that may be one of those things that people are even fans like myself are just finding out now with his passing. And you mentioned something. Um, he and his wife. And you know, and oh, we're, we're throwing up a great, oh, a great picture of um, Charlie Watts um, drumming. But um, you mentioned something about, um, you know, in, in Hollywood and especially in rock bands, longevity in a marriage is not really something you hear of very often. Um, but you were texting last night, and I was blown away to hear about he and his wife. Yeah, it's not a very sound environment for that, is it? I mean, no. well, he's fifty-seven years. He was married to the same woman. Wow. Still oh, like this, wow. Kathy, uh, in 2006, uh, he was Vanity Fair's best-dressed rock and roller, world's best-dressed man. I, I, I believe it. He, all, he always always looked phenomenal, just always looked well put together when he was younger, when he was older. And now that you talk about the graphic art component of his life, then that, that would also kind of explain to me in, in my head why the guy's also a fashion icon as well in the rock world. You know, uh, he lived a quiet life and he had a love-hate relationship with touring and he really didn't like going on tour. I would bet it had to do something with Mick Jagger and the group of guys that he was running around with. He, 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 was, he kind of stayed to himself. So, Coach, he was kind of considered the anchor of the Rolling Stones, right? Yes, he sure was. Um, and I watched an interview this morning, and he said how he was there to set the rhythm and the tone for the band and let them do their thing. So maybe that's his role was, you know. And, and you know, they didn't start out singing their own music. They followed the lead of like Muddy Waters and Bo Diddley and stuff like that. They played stuff that was cool for the teenagers there in London. But then when they started writing a lot of their own songs and stuff, he had a big influence on that. Well, and of course, the Rolling Stones, they were supposed to, they're supposed to be at Choctaw, if I'm not mistaken, uh, coming up here real soon um, to play. And I wonder if they'll do some tribute to Charlie Watts. Oh, you know, they will. did you see um, the tribute band members made in Mick Jagger? No, have not have not seen that yet, and I want to. As a matter of fact, that that's what I'd Charlie, pull. Charlie. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I thought it was ironic um, because he he just didn't play with the Rolling Stones. He had his own own band going too, where he had his uh, own orchestra at one time. He had his own quintet. He had a a boogie woogie band and a big and he had a big man era band. 
Oh, I see, and I and I, I and I and I and I love that. So now I'm going to go look up that that uh, music. I, I love the big band era, and you know, I, and I had no idea. Again, this is one of those things I've always known. He's he will go down in history as one of the you know most amazing rock drummers um, of all time, and it just has so much admiration in the world of music. Um, but the things you find out about him, you know, like I said, I'm just blown away now. I've got to go back and look at all of the album covers for the Rolling Stones that he had input on because that just that just fascinates me. Again, that's that's another connection with with the love of music and rock music in particular. Um, and, you know, some of the things that um, you're, you've got uh, Sir Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and some of the, the star, you know, all the different stars out there, all their tributes to him. There's people have nothing but the utmost praise and um, and just kind and gracious words and so much respect for the man and um, you know just what a life what a life well led and I think when you say he was kind of the anchor of the Rolling Stones, it reminds me of a story. Um, a buddy of mine had um, come back from fighting in the Vietnam War, got a job overseas with a record company, and ended up, you know, entertaining some of these different bands. And he talks about one of the times that he was working with the Rolling Stones, and Keith Richards rode the same elevator up and down from, like, you know, midnight till 4 a.m., um, and just at one point, he said the door would open. They'd be like, Mr. Richards, would you like to go to your room? And he's like, oh, okay, I'll find it eventually. And, you know, was just sitting there on the sitting on the floor of the elevator smoking a cigarette. So I would imagine Charlie Watts, from what I'm learning about his personality now, he was probably, he probably felt like he was hurting cats sometimes with the Rolling Stones. Love them. They're wonderful. But I have a feeling they're a handful, especially in their younger days, at the hotels. You know, it's... Uh... Do you have a favorite Rolling Stones song? My, my favorite Rolling Stones song is Little Red Rooster. It goes back to Blue's first album, 1966, the Aftermath album. When they and it was it was their tribute to the blues. Yep, and, and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to listen that to that one. Um, uh, Paint it black. Um, I, I, I guess if I had to say like 10 songs jump to mind when you ask me that, but I, if I think if I had to say one that literally I could listen to over and over every day, I, I think I'd have to go with paint it black. Well, there's a number one, you know, they they were part of what's called the British invasion and yes. they started out, um, back in, uh, in the sixties, they were invited to play on the, uh, Ed Sullivan show. And my dad worked for RCA, and he, we had a big, we had the TV that had the stereo, the radio, the TV. Uh, it was one of those things in the house back then that you could see but you couldn't touch unless dad wanted you to get up and change the channels. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, the kids were the channel changers back in the day. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we had that, and we always get together as a family and watch the, uh, the uh, Ed Sullivan show. And, you know, I... Uh, they play uh, Satisfaction, and then the next song they played is uh, they had to change the words to it. They, it. Instead of Let's Spend the Night Together, they had to play Let's Spend Some Time Together. Oh, yeah, because back in the day you couldn't say that. Yeah, let's oh, spend no. the night together. Yeah, that would nowadays. Oh my goodness, if that I, I wish that was the only you know lyrics issues we had to deal with as parents nowadays. And then uh, I, when I was in elementary school, uh, you know, I had a big sister. and She's down visiting now. You know, you remember last year that when I, when y'all helped us with uh, helping them with their house that burned down and everybody started donating. Well, she's yes. down visiting now, so we're talking about this. And they, uh, 1971, I was in sixth grade, and she was in high school, and she got this Hot Rocks album. And Hot Rocks was the, the thing, and it sold 60 million copies. Uh, wow. I had it in album. And then I had it in eight track, and then I had it in cassette, and now I have them in CDs. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it, yeah. It's just and, and then another one of my favorite. Um, when when you and uh, me and JP were all texting about Charlie yesterday, um, I'd tell them about what your daughter sent you. Um, what my daughter sent me. What was it? Well, the text she sent you, uh, your daughter, otherwise known as Piper's mom, um, oh. about her first band to see. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so we had a concert tickets, my wife and I, to go see the Stones on their uh, 
tore their legs tore in 2004 and they were coming to Dallas and uh, the schedule the schedule was for a Wednesday night well on Tuesday night we had, I was coaching at Brian Adams and on that Tuesday morning we had that freeze in Dallas and and it, everything was frozen the roads were frozen so they canceled the concert and uh, moved 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 the concert to Wednesday they also moved my basketball game from Tuesday to Wednesday, so I couldn't go. So my wife took my daughter to the concert, and that was her first ever concert was the Rolling Stones. I just love that. I just I love that. I mean, you know, and and what and what a great memory, and and um, again, just just so iconic. And and, and you know, and so do they? Do they? get a replacement drummer you know i mean the the rolling stones are still going strong their fan base is still humongous obviously there were oh. concerts that we missed of theirs during the pandemic um what do you think happens well you know they're set to start the tour in the united states and, yeah. and uh i'm sure when he announced that he couldn't make the tour that they were already making plans to find a drummer in fact last time we saw the Rolling Stones was down here in Houston. In the same year, we got to see U2 and the Rolling Stones. And um, the Stones actually had two drummers on stage at certain times. I mean, you have to imagine that those those guys are getting to the age where it's a little bit tough to make it through a concert. Oh, yeah. I, you know, m me being in the audience, I was with um, Stacy Weaver, a friend of mine, at um, the Maroon 5 concert uh, last week. And... You know, the next day I wake up, of, of course, my throat's sore because, you know, I feel like I have to sing along with the band so they remember the words to the songs. Okay, that's a joke. Um, but, like, my legs are sore from standing up the whole concert and dancing. I can't even imagine what it's like to be on stage when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and then for some of these guys, 80s. Could you imagine the training Mick Jagger day? He said he, they oh. said he trains two every other day. I, you would have to. <laughs> the way the energy he brings yeah you would you would have to and especially because they want to deliver the same show that they've delivered consistently and um yeah you'd have to be in great shape for that what vitamins are they taking that's what i want to know well we knew at one time they weren't just taking vitamins right well, and that's what I'm thinking. Now they've got to take like the, um, you know, all the um, antioxidant things to offset what they took in other decades, I guess. Not at least a non-elistic kind anyway. Um, well, Coach Quigley, thank you so much for popping on with us this morning. I know you've got family in town and you're driving and busy. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for sharing uh, your memories about the Rolling Stones and Charlie Watts. Thank you, well, Coach. And enjoy the video I sent you a Piper. Her favorite song is the Rolling Stones. That's who you start me up. I cannot wait to see it. And, and that's in my top ten. So Piper's got good, she's got good taste in music. Um, thank you, Coach. We couldn't have imagined doing a Rolling Stones tribute to Charlie Watts um, without you. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. All right, Coach. You Love you, Coach. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, we need a drummer in the government right now oh, because clearly there is no rhythm between Ooh. the white house the pentagon and clearly the vice president and i'm going to start on the vice president i you know it, I tell we you, were it, having we were celebrating really, the life of a good man and now you're just you, you brought me from a high where we're paying respect where respect is due and now it's like a big old record scratch <laughs> Well, it's, it's, uh, this stuff, you, you can't make this stuff up. That, <laughs> and I thought you were. One of the things you told me last night, I thought you were making it up. I had you on speakerphone, and Michael goes, he's nodding his head, and he goes, John's right. He goes, I heard that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I thought you were yeah. punking me. Yeah, no, not punking you. Um, this is craziness. Because, and I'll tell you what it leads to. It leads to the fact that this country is probably facing a democratic shutdown uh, if we are not careful. And what do I mean by that? This is what I mean by that. The vice president has given you advice for Christmas. You better get your Christmas presents now because the supply chain could really, really take a hit before Christmas. 
hint, yeah, hint, and, wink, and what does this wink. you speak of? Yeah, hint, hint, nod, nod, nudge, nudge. Uh. Yeah, so the vice president's advice is buy your Christmas presents now because otherwise you may not get them by Christmas. And the supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. So how do you like that? Well, here's the thing. This this election, the results, I'll say it, the results, um, you know, it's so many, I have so many friends, you do too, both of us, we've got mutual friends who were just extremely devastated, not that we weren't upset about what happened with the results and how how the election, uh, the votes, counting, all that stuff was, was handled. But you and I had this conversation, we talked about it on the air, because people were like, Kathy, how are you not just beyond devastated? How are you not all over social media being angry or whatever? And I said, you know, for one thing, God's got a plan, period, end of sentence. Um, in addition, I thought, okay, you know, he's going to be in, my prediction was he'd be in, there would be inflation, you know, there'd be several different things, oil and gas would be upset, Um, you know, a lot of different job um, groups that were doing very well with job growth and job opportunities under President Trump, they would be disenfranchised, they'd be back to lower paying jobs, um, things of that nature, and you and I talked about this, JP is like, you know what, hey, and in 2022, we're going to have, you know, we'll get how the house back, and you know, we'll have a, a, a more, of a, we'll have a solid majority in um, the Senate, um, you know, because we assumed we would, there'd be so many things they'd be, people would be upset about that they would have a, um, you know, we'd have we'd have Republican victories in the House and the Senate in those midterm, the midterm election, and then you know, it, any damage Joe Biden had done could be undone because we wouldn't be too far down the road. JP, we we could not have been more wrong. This this president has not even been in a year, and well, we have. And wanna, it's wanna, devastating. This administration right, has been I'll, devastating. Right, and I want to get back to the vice president because okay. I'm not done. Um, I'll move <laughs> on to the president here in about two and a half minutes. Um, but here's the thing, right? She's in Vietnam. She can't, uh, or no, she's in Saigon. Can't get on. No, we're Singapore. She's in Singapore. Can't get to Vietnam because of the Havana. Um, I don't know if they're calling it the Havana flu. I can't remember what they called it. Um, that all of a sudden has broke out into the um, Vietnamese Saigon area, and so she decides it's a good time to pass on the fact that Christmas time is. It's now time to start ordering your Christmas gifts in August. Um, oh, it's fear mongering. That that's a pro- well. I don't think that's appropriate. Number one, uh, because we've got. Americans and Afghan-American loyalists who are stuck behind enemy lines and the Taliban is now released that they're not allowing the Afghans to get to the airport. Americans are being beaten on their way to try to get to the airport and are having to jump back into seclusion. And the vice president thinks that it's a great time to come out and talk about, well, we should buy our Christmas presents in August because there might be a supply chain issue. Wink, wink, wink. Well, here's the thing. In this country, within our continental borders, small businesses, big businesses, and citizens need to stand up and tell the federal government, this is why there was an American revolution. And if you don't stop trying to impose your will upon the state, we're going to start dumping tea back into the bay. And so people have got to stand up to this. Yes. Are people getting sick? Yes. Are people going to the hospital? Yes. Are ICUs getting busy again? Yes. I think this is just like Dr. Clovier has said, part of our existence. And we're going to have to learn to live within it. For example, the Delta variant and Lambda shows up. I've started taking my vitamin regimen again. I've become more disciplined. Oh, I, I've um, got I've got everybody in my family. Um, you know, my daughter came over um, yesterday, and the first thing, you know, she and she lives on her own, and of course, I you know always stock her up on vitamins. First thing that I did uh, when she walked in the door was I said, "Here, take these immunity vitamins." She's like, "Mom, I already took the vitamins, <laughs> my other vitamins this morning." I said, "These are different. Trust me." Um, you know, I'm all over my son, my husband. Um, we're doing the same thing. Uh, you know, it's back to making sure you've 
you're you're doing those extra things to make sure you don't get sick. Yeah, I mean, so it, it the bottom line is is that the American people need to take back the American dream before the before the Biden Harris administration shut us down completely. And so that's number one. Number two, and Kathy, you had mentioned this, uh, in regards to her response to women being stuck behind enemy lines in oh, Afghanistan. Oh, don't don't even. Well, again, I, I'm going to no, go back. No, I am even. Well, no, and I know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to chime in because I heard, I, I, or read, I'm sorry, not heard, read another article about um, the lack of... Um, the lack of concern for women and here and here's somebody and again i think the christmas thing that's part of this administration's what they'll go down in history for when everybody gets their minds back to to normal thinking um fear mongering oh you better buy your christmas presents earlier else there's nothing gonna you know there won't be anything under the tree from santa blah 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 it's all this is all about fear mongering and it and it's just ridiculous because People have enough concerns in real life. We don't need an administration that gives us lack of hope and actually scares us. That's ridiculous. Um, read another article where her lack of, um, you know, she's one of those when the women were out marching with the pink hats and anytime there's any kind of, oh, feminism this and feminism that. And she, you know, she was on the stage, you know, as a presidential candidate during their primary, you know, thumping her chest about what, a, you know, how she's a strong woman and she's here to represent women and blah, blah, blah. What about the women in Afghanistan who are being raped, who are being killed, who are being held hostage. God knows what's happening to them. Yeah. What, what, where is the concern for those women? Where, where's the concern for the young women coming across the border? And they're already sex slaves coming over from Mexico and she's the borders are, ah, whatever. And there, where is the concern? She should be there and there should be thousands of women on the Southern border up in arms saying, do not let these young women come across into America as sex slaves. Where's the outrage? Well, it doesn't fit their agenda, well, so there is none. It doesn't fit, right, it doesn't fit their agenda. It goes against their president and their vice president. Um, and, you know, here's the other thing. You know, Kamala Harris was getting ready to go to California at some point to, to uh, campaign for Gavin Newsom. And... Californians have no respect for her. No, her own, you know, her own home state. Well, she didn't. Right. I mean, didn't she? I mean, and here's the thing. Everybody's like, well, she's, and some of the people are like, well, she's just being, she's already showing, and this makes me crazy, and I can't even read through a full article like this. This just shows our vice president how she will be able to be very even-handed when she is the next president. Let me tell you something. I think she is and I'm let the record show I'm going to eat my words. I think she is less. I, I always thought Hillary Clinton, that there would be no woman in politics less likable than Hillary Clinton. I think you have found that woman. And I am saying that after since 1991, I've been saying Hillary Clinton is not the most unlikable woman in politics. I think it's now Vice President Harris. I think Kamala Harris just is not likable. I think her inappropriate laughing the other day at this interview when somebody wanted to talk about Afghanistan and the women over there, she goes, oh, 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 let's, and I, I want to find that video clip because I want to show that on the show. Um, she, and she says, um, uh, and, and she goes, oh, we'll get to, you were going to talk about it. It's not funny. You know, Americans. No, we're, nothing we're, humorous at all. No, nothing. Oh, oh. Yeah, nothing humorous mm. at all. You know, and, and, and talking about not humorous. So the other day, one of the chosen reporters, because you understand that Joe Biden doesn't allow the press corps to be the press corps. Um, yes, Carter is in the house, Michelle. He is talking <laughs> and having fun down there. He's having a good day. Um, oh, he is. He's down there. He's watching Coco Melon. He's smiling <laughs> and playing. Um, so, but here's the thing. We've only got five minutes left, and the transition is this is that why on earth is it okay for Jen, whatever her name is, Pasaki or whatever, why is it okay for her to say that the, the Americans that are over there have not been stranded? And how dare the reporter use that rhetoric? 
And it's like, are you serious, lady? We did strand them. The definition of stranding. We got on planes and we took off and we didn't take them with us. We stranded them behind in Afghanistan. And talk about irresponsible rhetoric coming out of the White House. First of all, if any American has a half a brain, then they are absolutely, absolutely looking at that going, we're not stupid. Right. Yeah, you did strand them. How dare you insult our intelligence? Then my second issue is, what in the hell is Joe Biden thinking we're sticking to our August 31st deadline? What do you mean you're sticking to your August 31st deadline? Hey, idiot, go get our people out of Afghanistan in a freaking war zone, man. These people are stuck because the, the Taliban won't let them get to the airport. And you're saying we're sticking to an August 31st. There is no deadline. The deadline is until we get every American and every Afghan-American loyalist out of that country. Are you kidding me? And if the Taliban aren't going to allow the Americans to come to the airport and the Afghan-American loyalists come to the airport, that's a declaration of war. And we need to send in the troops and take care of this and get our people home. What in the hell is wrong with this president? And well said. It's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. You know, um, Jerry Ashley on our feed said abandoned, forgotten. It's just um, it, it, there. There are no words. This this will go down as the biggest smudge, the biggest. Um, you know, uh, I don't even know a black mark. I don't. I don't even know what to refer to this as. The 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 biggest um, travesty, tragedy on that is laid at the feet of an American president. And, um, ha, you know, and, and I don't get it. His party is always, oh, you know, we're all for the people and we want to, want to help everybody and all this stuff, and everybody wants to help everybody, but they don't want to help people when it doesn't fit their agenda. And to me, you know, if somebody's, if somebody falls in the street and they need help, I'm not going to ask them, oh, what are your political views? I'm a human being. If I'm a decent human being, I'm going to give a hand out to that person and help them up. So I don't, well, again, the, again hypocrisy point, is deafening. Them. We have abandoned them. Oh, oh we, no we have. If you are not at this point looking at the president and the administration and going, yes, they want to be a fascist communist regime, then you're an idiot. Yeah. And the bottom line on that is they are willing to set a deadline and if not every American gets out, oh, well. No, not oh, well, dude. That's not the way this works. Yeah. Yep. There is no deadline. The deadline is till every American has gotten out. And I think it's interesting that you have veteran organizations that are putting together private um, rescue missions to go into Afghanistan and get people out. Oh, yeah. Just like the, the couple in Nebraska who got those students out from their school. Yep. I mean, are you kidding me? Has anybody gotten the 22 ministers and preachers out that were in hiding from the Taliban? And that are, that are, that are they're threatening, you know, we've got um, friends of ours have been posting about people they know who are missionaries over there. And they said, these people are living in fear. They are hiding. And they know that once they are found, if they can't get to safety first, once they are found, they are most likely beheaded. How, how? And again, you know, Congressman Taylor, who actually Congressman Taylor will be on with us again, 830 on Friday. But what he was saying last week when he was in studio with us was, hey, this didn't have to happen. You know, Kevin McCarthy had a a press conference yesterday with a number of folks who had served in Afghanistan or some um, some of the congressmen who were who are part of these briefings. And they're like, the information that is getting put out there. Biden says one thing to the American public, and then, boy, all the liberal media runs with it. Like, it's all fine. It's fine. It's just really a drop in the head. It's not that many people when you think about it, when you think about how many people are actually in Afghanistan. Well, if they're my people, I care. And then, um, you know, then so, and then behind closed doors, the people who are the experts who should be making these decisions are saying, this is horrific. This is really bad, and we know it is. Here's the advice we gave. This advice was not taken. So where's the disconnect? 
somebody please well, step again, up and sure. tell the truth. And I feel like I know the truth is Biden is acting unilaterally or whoever's telling him, whoever his puppet master is. And it is a disaster. And it impacts thousands upon thousands of lives that they matter to us over here in America. Well, and you're trying to find some kind of logic in all of this. And you're trying to figure out the explanation. There is no explanation. Yeah. You're right. You're to right. Hell with, to hell with all of it. I don't care who didn't listen. I don't care who listened. I don't give a shit. Ah, a point right now. Got earmuffs. Earmuffs for Carter. Get, I, well, well, keep them on. Get your shit together. Troops over there. Get our people out. Yep. I don't care if it's September 15th. Take care of your business. We're Americans. We don't leave other Americans behind. And yep. then go in and kill the rest of the Taliban before they destroy everything that women have done over in Afghanistan. There will never be another woman judge. There will never be another woman politician in Afghanistan. Oh, media. The, women have been ripped off the air, you know, they because they're not allowed to show their face on the air anymore. I, you know, it's job after job. Um, what about the, the, the little girls who are over there learning to read and learning math and learning how to speak and learning, learning uh, you know, and having an education? What happens? Yeah, I mean, and there have been people that have come on the air for major news networks that are calling from Afghanistan and saying the State Department's not contacted us. We don't know how to get out. We need help getting out. And again, it, how dare any of us? We are we have blood on all of our hands. Yeah, yeah. And so something's got to be done. My question is, where's the next Ross Perot? Tell me this is not just like the Carter found or Carter administration, but a hundred times worse. I was going to say we need a Ross Perot to step up yeah. and send in a private special ops group, amen, funded privately, amen, and, and to do what Joe Biden. Is not capable of It either doesn't have the guts, doesn't want to, or is unable to do. And any of those, to me, make him an unfit president. Um, yeah, you're right. And you said something, JP, and I know, I know we're running out of time. That music's going to start. But, it, you are. know, we always spoke about, and President Carter, one of the nicest men, just a, a, an incredible Christian man who, who is just such a humanitarian horrible president, horrible policies, disastrous. I remember being a kid. I just remember my parents having conversations. I remember waiting in line um, with my brother and I in the back seat of the station wagon on the days we could get gas. Just a disastrous presidency. And Joe Biden is making him look like, hey, come on back. Yeah, right. Re-election to Carter. So, and you're right, Gail and Ann, the UK is done with us. Oh. I mean, and how on earth yeah. did we do that? We built that relationship forever. Are you kidding me? And he, so, yeah, like, he is literally just, he's undone so many good things. And like Congressman Taylor said last week, there are several things that all Joe Biden had to do was keep the status quo or listen to the experts and the people who already had plans in place. And, and the, this disaster could have been avoided. Many disasters could have been avoided. So we haven't even had a year. I, I can't even imagine what's coming next. And now as we look well, to... Well, what's coming next is the music. Yeah, well, it, it's already on. You I know, and we're, we're looking to 9-11 coming up and I, I feel like, JP, we're sitting ducks. So we've got to... Y'all yeah. join us. Pray for our country. Pray for our country. Pray for those in need over in Afghanistan. Um, we need pray Jesus and prayers more than anything. Oh, we always pray for Carter. Aunt Kathy loves you. (laughs) (laughs) Go read The Hungry Caterpillar. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Coach. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Love y'all. All right. God bless.